podcast with the boys. God damn it. <laughs> Hello, everybody. Welcome to... Ow, I got to... My side really hurt for like a second when I did that. Welcome to you episode number 173, the Classic Gaming Podcast. Today's date is March 4th, 2022. I'm Robert Ring. With me is Jay Totoro. Hi. Hey, Jay. Hi. Uh... I'm sorry to do. I'm halfway sorry to do this to you, but I have to tell everybody. Is this about populace again? Ah! Robert. So uh, did you go back and listen to the episode? Is that what I'm about to hear right now? What? Did you go back and listen to one of the older? No, episodes? you. No, something happened after that one. Don't you remember? Vaguely, honestly. So uh, at least kind of a blur. Me and yeah. So I was uh. Me and Jay were hanging out on Discord with some of our other friends like a week or so ago, or like two weeks ago, I guess, probably. And uh, Jay said, oh, hey, I started playing uh, Populous after you were talking about it the other day. <laughs> and I was like, all right, Jay, are you fucking, are you playing Populous or are you playing Populous the beginning? Because I don't think you're playing Populous. And Jay said... <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. No, I'm playing Populous. <laughs> Listen, you understand. In the community, there is only one Populous. I don't believe that at all. And then I, don't I, know what and I said, uh, okay, well, um, that's great because I would really like you to tell, to like teach me how to play this game. Because it, on the last episode, as I mentioned, it's very, like the interface is just incomprehensible. And not not only that, but the gameplay is too. And uh, Jay was like, "Yeah, sure, I definitely." <laughs> and he was, and you were playing it right then. And so I said, "Well, can you show me your? Can I? We uh, stream it so I can watch? You know, like just on on Discord." And Jay said yes. And Jay turned it on to the title screen of Populous: The Beginning. <laughs> yeah, see, like the first one. <clears throat> of course. Have you ever actually played the original one? Did we did we ever yeah. get to the bottom of that? Did you play? Yeah, I played it a long. I played it like once or twice. Do you know how to play it, or what, did you do what I, I did and like played? Uh, it for... Probably what you did. I tried doing some things with it, but like it just was not my thing. So you don't I watched know... some videos as well. So you wouldn't be a good teacher of populace. No, absolutely okay. not. All right, so I'll still have to find a a video or something. I I haven't played. I still do plan on playing it, but um, I'm sorry. I would like. <laughs> I mean, I would like to be able to figure it out. I guess I'm going to have to just use a YouTube video or something. There you go. Um, real quick, I've been talking about this for like three episodes now, but I have finally done our interview with Paul Morgan Stetler, the lead actor of Phantasmagoria 2. We're going to insert that into this episode. Uh, in a little while. So what? when we are talking about our games, one of the games that I played for this episode is Phantasmagoria 2, and I think what I'll do is insert it after that, after I talk about the game for the, for the podcast. So maybe I'll save that for the last one, so it'll be like a transition. We'll talk about all our games, and we'll have the interview, and then we'll come back and talk about uh, emails, or that we'll read emails. Works for me. Okay, cool. Well, uh, Jay, besides playing Populous, uh, the beginning, what else have you been up to lately? Anything cool? Sure. Uh, so actually, so I played through Populous. <laughs> I beat Populous again, which was a uh, very the enjoyable beginning. experience. The beginning. Stop. Nope. 
I'm not just not gonna do this with you. We're not. We're just not going there. I'm trying to call the name the game by the right name. Listen, listen. Everybody knows. <clears throat> wait, are you ta- are you jumping into talking about what game you've played? Yeah. Okay. Well, wait a second because we got to talk about news. I was just wondering okay. if anything's been going on with you personally. Oh, okay. Um, not really. No, yeah. just okay. been working, hanging out, staying away from people. Okay. Um, How about you? <clears throat> nothing special. Yeah, I don't think. Feel that. Um. Okay, we got a few news things. <laughs> Chrono Cross. Uh, no, Chrono. Cro- yes, Chrono Cross. It's not a game that you're too fond of. Yeah. Um, not great. Chrono Cross Radical Dreamers Edition is coming out April seventh. Evidently, it's like got it's like an HD remaster more or less, and I think it might have so. Some extra, like, I don't know, like a little bit extra content, but it's basically just Chrono Cross remastered. Oh, yay. (laughs) Uh, On that same note, the Kingdom Hearts games that were coming out on Switch have come out on Switch. But if you remember, they are just, you can only stream them. You don't actually get to own the game. You just stream them from Square's, from Square Enix's servers, and evidently, not surprisingly, the performance is dog shit terrible. Like very surprising to hear. Yeah, very surprising to hear. I know. (laughs) I've read that they're basically unplayable. Like the latency is so bad and all that kind of stuff. That's how most of that series is. Well, I'm kidding. I mean, the series has a lot of problems. Trying to play it online has not until now been one of them. They just added that onto the stack. Sure. Um, so, sounds like you should stay away from those. Um, on the Switch, NES and SNES, uh, on the Switch Online subscription libraries for NES and SNES, they have added Earthbound and Mother, wow. a.k.a. Earthbound Beginnings. So... Earthbound, that's a big one, obviously, that a lot of people have been wanting. And so that's pretty sweet. Uh, Mother sucks, but it's cool that it's on there. It's it's good to, you know, for, for Earthbound fans, it's a good one to, like, you know, everybody... If you're a fan of Earthbound, then you probably want to play Mother at some point just, you know, for the sake of it. But it's really not good. But Earthbound is on there now, which is awesome. Capcom has announced the Capcom Fighting Collection coming out June 24th. It has a bunch of cap uh, of old Capcom fighting games, like a bunch of lesser known ones, and uh, some of these I'm not sure exactly which, but some of them have not were not actually ever released in, until until now until when this comes out in the um, like outside of Japan, I believe. The collection is going to have Darkstalkers, Night Warriors, Vampire Survivor. Va- oh no, I'm sorry, Vampire Vampire Savior. I was about to say, isn't that that game that came out? <laughs> yeah. No, Vampire Savior, Vampire Savior 2, Vampire Hunter 2, Red Earth, Super Puzzle Fighter 2 Turbo, Hyper Street Fighter 2, that's one of the arcade versions of Street Fighter 2, Cyberbots, and Super Gem Fighter Mini Mix. Seems pretty cool, but I I really don't know anything about any of those games. But they do look neat. And then finally only vaguely classic game related. They also announced 
Street Fighter Six, which is pretty, which is kind of exciting. Although they basically haven't, all they've shown is like a little teaser trailer with no actual gameplay and no release date or anything like that. It's just a picture of a big ass like Ryu, and that's pretty much it. Nobody knows when it's coming out or anything. Uh, do you still play a lot of newer fighting games when they come out? No, not really. I don't think so. Not, not at all, actually. I'll, I'll probably play this one just because it's Street Fighter. Gotcha. But even Street Fighter Five, I didn't play until years after it came out. Um, but I'm sure I will play this at some point. Gotcha. Uh, okay, that's all we got for news. Do you want to talk about what you've been playing? Actually, I want you to start if you want to start talking about Poppins because I think we both played it. I, I beat the original. Like I, the I didn't play game. it. <laughs> you didn't play Populous at the beginning. No, of I didn't play any Populous. Oh, you haven't played any Populous? Oh, okay. I thought you. I thought you would. We're going. I, to I played episode. like fifteen <laughs> minutes of Populous, but not enough to figure it out. Not enough to like. I played enough to to figure out that I don't know how to play it, and then I'm going to have to figure out how to play it. Okay. Wow, you're actually gonna get best time into it. I respect the play. Yeah, well, I'm gonna. I, I want to at least figure out how to play the game and then give it a shot, and then I'll talk about it at some point. I don't know when that's going to be. Sure. Uh, how many games do you have tonight? I have three small ones and one normal one. Okay. Um, okay, so if that's okay. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Awesome. Uh, so after we were talking about playing Populous at the beginning, I wanted to play, so I played through it. Uh, for the 78th time in my entire existence. I, I've been playing Populous <laughs> the beginning since I was freaking 10 years old, probably. Uh, back, I used to try, I used to play with people online, just friends, on the the time when you're connected to another person through online, or through multiplayer for old games was the most challenging thing in the freaking world to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, dial up. Yeah, dial up. You know, your computer makes that terrible noise. Nobody can use the phone. If you get a phone call, you disconnect. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, but no, Populous Beginning is a, is a very interesting take on the RTS genre. Obviously, it was, you know, in the early days of... Uh, or it was kind of the midst of, of a lot of the other RTSs that were, that were building at that time. But it's a very interesting approach to the RTS genre. And it's simpler. It's definitely a more casual RTS in a lot of ways. But I played through the entire campaign for the main game, which was fun. I beat it wow. many, many times, and it's just—it's a really cool campaign. I love the evolution of your your spells, and like as you go through the game, you get you unlock more spells and more uh, buildings that allow you to train different types of units, and it's cool. It's it's very RPG esque, where you're basically getting stronger throughout the entire game, and then in the last level, actually, I won't, I won't say this. To you. I'll, I'll let you I'll let you play through because okay. I think you're, I think you'll end up beating the campaign. Um, but yeah, so there's a there's a bit of progression that's exciting throughout Populous beginning, which is it's really enjoyable. It, it's a, some of the levels are very frustrating and difficult. Most levels are pretty easy as long as you jet, do the general kind of stuff with macro and micro. And it, there's not a there's not a there's not a ton of micro. I think the the, the term micro is probably a little overstated um, in it as it pertains to this game, just because the micro in this game is is very limited. There's not a ton of it, but there's certain things that can that can make a difference. Okay. Overall, it's it's a really enjoyable playthrough of, of a of an RTS. I played the um, I didn't realize this, but there's additional levels that were released. I believe they were released by EA, if I'm not mistaken. Um 
I, I believe it was. I, I, I played them before a little bit, but I haven't played them. I, I didn't play through them all the way. There's like eight levels that, 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 were, that were developed afterwards. And really, they're fun. Yeah, they're, they're very fun. And they're actually pretty darn difficult. They're much more difficult than the entire regular campaign. Um, they basically understand, they, they expect you to know all the basics of the game. And they take that consideration when designing the levels. And it's cool. It's, it's a nice take. One of the levels was really frustrating. It took me a couple tries to do it just because there's some, some really frustrating mechanics to it. Um, but overall, I really enjoyed it. And the last level, unfortunately, the last level was a little bit disappointing. It was probably one of the easier ones. It was really short, oh, really? too. Yeah, which, which kind of surprised me. So it, it was fun. I, I would recommend if you enjoy playing through Populous and beginning the main campaign. Um, I think they're called like the Undiscovered Worlds. I think that's what they're called. Oh, did I already delete it? Hold on. I think I may have already uninstalled uh -oh. it. Oh, no, it's already beat. I'm not going to play it again. Populous. You've already played it 75 times. What's to say you're not going to play it some more? I bet you will. I mean, I will. Just yeah. at some point. That's what I'm saying. Uh, let's see. Populous, Undiscovered World was an expansion. Uh, 12 single players. 12 maps. 12 single player. Yeah. So, came out in 06. I didn't realize that. The Undiscovered. It's called Undiscovered Worlds. Populous beginning, I think, came out in like 98 or 2000. Uh, 1998. Um, yeah, it's okay. uh, it, it was really fun. It was an enjoyable playthrough. So for those who haven't played Populous Beginning, uh, the uh, you play as you basically uh, act as a shaman with a tribe. You have the ability to grow your tribe to train your uh, call them villagers, if you will, into different functions. Like there's a warrior, there's a fire warrior, there's a preacher which can poach other people's units. There's a spy that can uh, look like the opposing enemy, walk into their base and like light buildings on fire, essentially. There is a balloon hut where you can build balloons, and the balloons are really, they're kind of self-balanced in a way. Units that are in a balloon die very quickly, but they do a lot they do a lot of damage if they have range. So there's a nice little, like, if your shaman's in a balloon, they're, they're extremely vulnerable to taking damage, or excuse me, to dying. And if you're in the air, obviously you have air superiority, because, you know, the other, the, the opposing enemy you're fighting is on the ground, and they can't really deal with you easily, because if you're kind of, like, moving around. Um, when your shaman dies, they they basically despawn de for like 30 seconds or 60 seconds. Then they respawn. And when your shaman dies, you basically, a bunch of your mana is drained and given to the sh the tribe that killed you. Mana allows you to um, unlock spells. And your spells, like, basically at all times you're, you're regenerating, or you're generating mana that allows you to recharge spells. So when you kill another person's shaman, it basically accelerates that process by okay. for like 15, 20 seconds or something. And also, realistically, if you are fighting a tribe without a shaman, it's it's a very one-sided fight. If the other person shaman's not there, they're just they're kind of just so you gotta have a shaman. Yeah, basically, because the enemy's units are good um, and they can kill you, but as long as you play generally, it's not a not an easy feat. Um, no units can swim in the game, so if you if you fireball the ground next to a unit and they're standing next to water and not and bump them into the water, they just drown and die, including shamans. So there's like some really funny micro you can do where you can basically like position yourself and then if enemies come near the water, you just fireball the ground next to them. They fire, fly into the water and they just die. Uh, one of the things there's... I just remembered watching this when you were playing it was uh, how it's on like a, it's actually on a globe map. Oh yeah. <clears throat> which is kind of cool. Yeah, it's, it's very interesting. And each level, <clears throat> depending on the, the size of the level too, you know, the, the size of the world is bigger or smaller, which is kind of cool. Um, you can build boats and go across water. 
Boats are not great in this game. Uh, they just, they're just not that great. Also, any vehicle, like a boat or a, a balloon, if they are left idle for too long, they just explode. <laughs> I, I don't know why. They just explode. And if there's things next to them, they, like people, they'll get launched. And they can get launched okay. into the water and drown. So you could die to a boat. You know that they say, don't leave your boat. <clears throat> don't let the boat float. Right? Uh, one of the other interesting mechanics in this game is your shaman's range is determined by their their uh, height and elevation. So if your shaman is on a hill, you have further range than a shaman that does isn't on a hill. Even more, you can build guard towers, which guard towers uh, for it, it it plays like a a, a dong noise whenever enemies get a near. So it's like dong, noise. dong. Like so, you can be like, no enemies are coming. But if you have like a, a fire warrior in there, they can shoot ranged abilities or ranged attack from the guard tower, which is kind of neat. The preacher can preach from the tower. So if enemies get too close, the preacher will try to convert enemy units uh, to, to join your side. Even more, if your shaman's in a tower, uh, her range is extended greatly. So if you have a tower on a hill, you can cast spells like halfway across the map, which is really funny because anytime they try to attack, you're just like, Good luck, dude. Like, I'm going to blow you apart before you can even, even know I'm there. <laughs> there are a lot of cool spells It's especially game. funny considering, as we were talking about a second ago, how it's on a globe. Like, mm-hmm. So they're actually casting spells halfway across the Literally. world. <laughs> I'm, on, I'm, I'm freaking casting, casting spells on the other side of the earth, or the other side of the planet. It's actually yeah. just amazing. Um, and there's a lot of cool spells. So, like, you have your basic spells. There's one called Convert. You can use it on wildmen to have them turn into villagers. That's how. That's kind of the macro of the game. Uh, you have fireball, which I mentioned. You can also get like magic barrier, which basically reflects spells. There's one that's called swarm that you cast it, and it causes all the enemies hit by it to scatter and run in different directions. If they're in a balloon and they get hit by swarm, they jump out of the balloon. So if they're over water and you swarm them, they jump out of the balloon into the water and die. Same with boats. So if boats are going by and you just happen to cast swarm on a boat. All the units will jump out of the boat and drown instantly. Huh. And boats have five people in it. Um, the balloons only carry two. So killing a boat full of units is just devastating. It's like absolutely devastating. Uh, the other really interesting mechanics with the spells in this game is the effects you can do to the terrain. So you can uh, raise land, you can lower land, you can remove land, you can add land, you can create a volcano. There's a lot of different interactions you can do with raising and lowering the terrain in order to do different things. So if you, for instance, in a lot of levels, there's going to be areas that you can extend your island out to because there's, you know, some sort of treasure. There's something there that is useful to you. Even more is if the enemy's walking by a peninsula, you can just drive by and remove the land from underneath them and they just fall in the water. <laughs> so there's some really cool stuff you can do with that. Also, if you cast volcano, it, so imagine a flat surface, you summon mm-hmm. a volcano, a volcano erupts, right? So it pops up, it mislevels or, or, uh, correctly levels the entire area because it's a giant volcano. And let's say you do it in the middle of their base. So the volcano kills a bunch of units, it burns a bunch of buildings, and the buildings take a while to repair. Even more is after the land is unscarred, which by the way, any land that is hit by a lava, it becomes scarred. And it, it takes like 10 minutes or so before the scarred land will clear, and you oh, can't wow. build on it until then. So it's volcanoes are brutal because if you do that, then obviously they can't build there. What's even worse is even after the land is on scarred, you still have this big-ass volcano in your base, and it's not erupting anymore. It's dormant. But what ends up happening is you can't build because the ground is too uneven. So then you have to waste mana lowering the ground uh, back to where it was. Like, it is... There are some really, really brutal spells. There's one called Swamp that creates this little, like, square grid on the ground, and the next 10 units, good or bad, that walk through the swamp instantly die, including shamans. 
So you can huh. put it in like a really a big choke point, and units will just sprint through it, including your own. Again, it can kill you, it can kill your enemy, it can kill shamans. Uh, the last spell I'll talk about is called Angel of Death. <laughs> and it basically, you cast it, and it summons this flying serpent with no eyes that flies around the map and just starts killing people. And the way it kills people uh, is it... friendlies too? No, it doesn't. Okay. Um, so what it'll do is it will fly over your base, and the second it finds a unit it wants to kill, it hovers on it, it spits fire out to taunt you, everybody who's beneath it runs in terror, and then it just dives <laughs> down, picks the person up, fl- uh, brings them back up into the air, uh, bites them, and then spits them like halfway across the world until they fall and die. Wow. And it continues to do that, and it will target shamans first. So it'll kill the opposing shaman, get you a bunch of mana, and it does a bunch of damage. Now, one of the, the physics of this game are pretty funny. So whenever something is hit, like if you hit somebody with a fireball, they fly. They, they fly, and then they fall, and then they you know if they die, they die. If they don't, they are still okay, right? They're still there. But if multiple fireballs hit a target at once, they keep going. So if you hit them twice with a fireball, you could juggle them. You could launch somebody around the world if you hit them enough times. Okay. So I tried this. Uh, I made a bunch of fire warriors, which all shoot fireballs. And I grouped them up and I had them like positioned away. And I hit this one guy with everything I had, with all my fire warriors at once. It juggled him around the entire world. (laughs) (laughs) I overnighted this guy around the world. The physics are are just too much fun in this game. Yeah, it sounds like it. But yeah, it was it was really enjoyable playthrough. I'm really excited to hear. I was hoping that you were going to play it for this episode, uh, but I'm really excited to hear your thoughts on it. I every time I recommend Populous, I'm like, you know what? I think that's just one of those childhood games that I enjoyed. And then I play it, and I'm just like, this game, it's not the most difficult RTS. It's not the most unique perspective of an RTS. But damn, is it fun? It absolutely is. Like, it really is an enjoyable playthrough. I mean, I played it again, and I had no like. I was actually looking forward to playing this each time. And I'll be honest with you, there are not a lot of games right now that I look forward to playing. Like, I usually sit down and like, what am I going to play tonight? But when I was playing through Populous, like, every time I'm like, oh, sweet, I still have a couple more levels to beat before, I, before I'm going to stop playing Populous. So. Cool. Yeah. Excited to hear your thoughts on it. Well, maybe I'll play it at some point. Maybe you'll play it. Listen to this guy. <laughs> uh so, yeah, I mean, I know you're a big fan of the game. You made it sound sweet once again. Thanks. Are, do you have anything else? I do, but I'll, I was going to go back and forth with you. Oh, okay. That'd be a better way to go. <clears throat> All right. I will. I'm not, I think I told you about this. I'm not sure. But for my birthday, I got a virtual boy. Oh, yeah. Did I tell you? I did tell you about that? Yeah, yeah. We okay. were talking about, yeah, we were talking about different games for it. Um. At first, I was not going to. I have been wanting one, and it was kind of the next one of the next possible items on my like uh, consoles to buy list. And it was my birthday about a, almost a month ago, and I was like, you know, it's probably time. But then we're fixing to move, so I didn't want to have extra stuff to carry. So I tried to think of something else. I couldn't think of any better. So I just went back and defaulted back to the Virtual Boy. So I got one. And first off, the Virtual Boy itself is actually a lot better than I than I thought it was going to be. You said, well, what you, did you think it was going to be like? I thought it was just going to be ugly. And I thought like just the experience of playing any game on it was going to be 
headache inducing and ugly graphics and everything and like maybe okay. maybe blurry or something. I wasn't expecting much. I also didn't realize that it actually does 3D. I thought it was pretty much just a screen, you know? That's funny. I didn't I didn't remember that. You don't remember that? Yeah, it's No, I don't it, remember that at all. The stuff actually is in 3D. <laughs> um and uh and actually the graphics are very very sharp. Like I was you know, of course, as everybody probably knows, it's all just red on black. Um, but the picture is very sharp, and I wasn't really expecting that. The graphics are actually really, really good. You know, besides the obvious color sure. limitations, the graphics are surprisingly good on it. So uh, overall, I was really pretty impressed. I thought I was gonna, you know, get a like kind of as like the the. There's the thing about don't let kids who are under seven, I think, play because it can damage their eyesight and stuff. Really? Yeah, and I think there were stories about people getting headaches from it or something. I don't remember exactly. Maybe I'm just making that up. But I thought it was just going to give me a headache and all this, and, it, and none of that happened. Um, it is kind of uncomfortable, like neck wise, <laughs> to sit at a table and have to like have to lean in. And kind of crouch a little bit to play it, but it, it sure. even that wasn't really too bad. Overall, I was, you know, I kind of thought this was just going to be a dumb, fun thing to own, but it's actually okay. a pretty good console, I think. All, all said and done, I've, you know, of course, once again, the red on black, yes, that's that's very limiting. The games that I've played so far are all there's there's not much depth to a lot of the ones that I've played yet. But they're, but they've been, some of them at least have been good, you know, pick up and play for 10, 15, 20, 30 minutes games. So, uh, I'm much more, I'm much happier with it than I thought I was going to be actually. So the games I played, I've played a uh, four or five games. The, the, the ones that I played wow. the most that, I, that I'll talk about tonight are Galaxy Pinball, Vertical Force, and Mario Clash. Um, Mario Clash... All of these came out in 95. Mario Clash um, is probably the worst of these. It is pretty much a 3D version of the very original Mario Brothers game. The one where it's a single screen and there are the turtles walking out of the pipes on the sides, you know. And it's just, and I think... You just kill all the turtles and then you go to the next level and then it's pretty much the same thing over and over again. You know, you you know what I'm talking about, like the arcade. It was on yeah, Atari yeah. as well. It was on, yeah, because it was like a side game on. Was it Mario Three? I, I think it was like a mini game you could play. Maybe it was. I'm I, I don't remember, but pretty it, sure. Anyways. But yeah, it could have been. Anyway, this is like an updated version of that, and it's just not that great. It's the same. It's the same thing. There are pipes. And there's a foreground and a background, and that's the 3D aspect of it. And you can jump, you, you can start off in the foreground or background, and then the, you can pretty much go through a pipe to come back to the front or go, to go back to the back. And there are turtles walking around also going through pipes, and on different levels there are sometimes multiple, like like you can, like there are pipes that are kind of like up a story, you know, more or less, or, or down some. like And so... You the goal is just to kill all the bad guys. It's pretty simple. So uh, what happens is on some of the levels there get to be spiky like this. I forgot what they're called, but like the spiky turtles, you know. Yeah, yeah. And obviously you can't jump on them, 
So what you have to do is get a jump on a regular turtle. And then if the spiky turtle is in the foreground, then you have to be in the background, carry the shell back there and then throw it to the foreground to hit the spiky turtle. And that kills it. (laughs) And so, and that's kind of all there is to it. It's, it's like slightly puzzle-ish in that aspect because there's kind of a thing of having to figure out how am I going to get to the back? You know, once I, once I kill this one turtle, I'm going to have to jump over others to get to the back safely. Or, you know, you don't, you don't want to like run into one while you're walking through a pipe. So very minor, very minor puzzle solving in that sense. So it was, it was just very simplistic and uh, really just wasn't very much fun. So that was Mario clash. Uh, Galaxy pinball is a, is a pretty cool one. I'm not a big pinball guy. But as far as pinball games go, this one is not bad. It's got uh, space-themed pinball boards. Oh, that's just up your up your alley right there. Space-themed is yes, for sure. Uh, and they're all kind of on galaxy-type backgrounds where you can kind of see the stars and stuff beneath. And uh, you, you don't really see the there's like the board. It's the pinball board that you're looking at, or whatever you want to call it. There's no bottom to I mean like there is a bottom to it that the ball rolls on but it's basically transparent so you just see these kind of stars floating in the background the whole time and there are four different uh machines that you play on they all have a different t- like one's an alien theme one's a space station theme one's a space like some other planet theme or something like that and I forgot what the other one is but um they basically just kind of all have their little different mechanics that just kind of give you points for different stuff just just pretty typical pinball stuff but they look really good and actually the music was really really good on some on on a couple of them you know i was honestly surprised at how good the music was on some of these and then there's like little things that happen sometimes where you something like something happens i don't even know what but it turns from pinball to like a shooter for a second and there's little meteors flying across the what? screen and it gives you a reticle and you're supposed to shoot the meteors down or the commas or whatever they are. So it kind of mixes it up a little bit, but you know, ultimately it's still pinball. So you kind of have to like pinball to really get involved. Um, as someone again, who really doesn't like pinball, I thought it was still pretty neat. So if you're a pinball fan, you probably would like galaxy pinball. Gosh. Question, where does the, the sound come out of the, the Virtual Boy? It comes out right next to where your eyes are. Oh, no shit. Okay. Yeah. Right on, like, each side. <clears throat> so, uh, it's it, they, they if I remember correctly, it is in stereo. Um, huh. So, uh, yeah, it's just they're just, like, right next to your ears right there. Um, oh, and by, that, that reminds me. <laughs> the, like, plugging it in and getting it set up. I, like, I looked at it and I was like, what plugs into what? Because it's not really that complicated once you figure it out. But so you've got the controller and you've got a power plug and you've got the virtual boy. So, of course, the controller plugs into the virtual boy. So you just got to find that. slide. it's like on the bottom of the mask thing somewhere. But then the power plug, the the controller has this weird bulky pack of some sort on the back of it the power plug plugs into that you have to open up the back of the controller plug one end of the power cord into it close that then plug the power into the wall of course and so the power goes to the controller and then the controller goes into the virtual boy 
uh, and when you when you are playing it, you have to you pretty much have to hold your hands below the table because again, you're sitting at a table and you're having to lean into the virtual boy. You could either kind of hold it right on the table, but that seemed to kind of get in the way of like there's it's it's kind of crammed if you do that. So you pretty much have to hold the controller under the table, like kind of in your lap. But also, one thing I did this this is this is not the fault of the Virtual Boy. This is just me not paying good attention. So I had these few games, and the games, well, I put one in, and the game wouldn't start. And I pulled it back out and I was looking at it. I was like, why will it not go in? Like, I mean, why, why won't it start? And I was putting it back in and it, it wouldn't, it, it didn't seem like it was going in. It seemed like it was going in kind of crooked, but I couldn't get to get either side to push in anymore. It's like, what the hell is going on? I kept trying to turn it on. Nothing would come up. And so then I pulled out another game just to look at it. And the other one I pulled out had a dust cover on it. You know, like the, uh, just like the little cases sure. that go on the plastic bottom <laughs> yeah the plastic sleeves yeah. but the plastic sleeves are different from how they are on super nintendo or nintendo it kind of like fits perfectly on the end of the cart almost to where you don't well it, well in my case exactly to where i couldn't even tell that there was a dust cover because i wasn't really paying close attention what so what i had done was I shoved the game into the slot where the games go in the back of the Virtual Boy, but the dust cover was still on it, and I didn't even realize it had a dust cover on it. And then I pulled it out, and the dust cover was stuck inside the thing. And, what? I, and of course, that's why it wouldn't play, because I wasn't plugging yeah, in anything. There was just a dust cover stuck in there. So I had to get pliers and like pull it out. Ooh. Uh, and, and luckily I was able to do that without damage and damaging anything. And then it works. But, um, yeah, the dust cover is like very, like very small to where when you pick out, a, when you pull out a game, you, you, well, you, if you're me, you don't notice they're, they're on there. I don't know if that's <laughs> a thing that's ever happened to anybody else or not, but it was so Especially. small that I didn't even really notice it. Oh, huh. uh, so that was just another little funny thing that happened. The last game I played for Virtual Boy was Vertical Force, and this is a top-down shoot 'em up, and I was it was actually pretty good. Um, the game looks great. The environments look awesome. There are big ships kind of floating in the background that look awesome. The enemies look great. Um, like all of the games that I played looked really good and really sharp, but this was probably the best-looking one. And. Uh, I guess to kind of show off the 3D aspect of it and to, and to sort of utilize the 3D aspect of it, it's got a gimmick where... So it's top-down shoot 'em up It's got a gimmick where you can go farther down or come up. You, you can kind of be on two Z levels of the game. You can be kind of where you would normally expect your ship to be in a top-down shoot 'em up or you can press a button and it kind of like goes down uh, again okay. in like on like the Z-axis. Um, so a lot of the times there's not a reason to go to one place or the other because it's like well if there's enemies you know down a level then just stay up a level and you don't even have to worry about shooting them but then it does because but then you know there are parts where you have to go up and down to dodge obstacles or sometimes there's enemies on on both axes on both z on both levels of the z axis i mean to where it's just kind of like, do I want to fight these types of guys or these types of guys? Sometimes it does get a little bit confusing, especially when there's a bunch of bullets flying around. Sometimes it's hard to tell 
which level of the z-axis they are on. Um, so, and it doesn't help that everything is just red. So it's really hard to tell sometimes, but it's it doesn't become too problematic, and t- except for some of the bosses. I only got to the fourth level and I couldn't get past the boss on the fourth level because partly just because it's a hard boss, but also sometimes I couldn't figure out what was on the, what was on my level and what was below me. So that kind of just makes it a little bit more difficult. Just being able to tell exactly what is going on, but um, it's, it's a challenging one. It's not, it's I feel like the 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 difficulty is really pretty well balanced. Like a lot of the level, well, as I said, I got to the fourth level. I think there are five or six. Um, the levels are challenging. Several of them took me, you know, several. I had to use several continues to get through, but it's not impossible. So I, I feel like they they balanced it pretty well. Like I said, some of the bosses are a little hard. Um, and not just because they're hard to dodge their bullets, but because it's hard to tell what's in the foreground, what's in the background. So that's, that kind of sucks a little bit, but overall it was a solid game. Cool. Um, I, hopefully for next time, I, I plan on playing some of the more, some of the more well-known ones, like maybe, well, you know, one of the ones that I did play, I, I'll save it for next time. Cause I've already talked about three, but I did play Mario tennis. That's kind of, you know, I guess the ones that are a little bit more well-known are Mario tennis, the boxing, like the robot boxing game and the bowling game. Does that sound right? Do, the, the, do those sound kind of like the more popular virtual boy games to you? I know you I'm, had one. I'm sorry. I'm not the person. To, I, I'll be honest with you. I'm trying to like rack my brain to remember what game. Cause there was a game I played and I really, there's a couple games that I really enjoyed playing for it to a point where I was frustrated that I had to return it. Cause I wanted oh, to, wow. to beat it. There's yeah, a, um, I rented it from Blockbuster. <laughs> there's a, there's a Wario game. There's and again I think the I think the more popular ones were the tennis game, the bowling game, and the boxing game. I think it might be the Wario game to be honest, but I, I need maybe to so. I want to look into it more. So I'll probably talk about the tennis one next time and, and maybe one or two of the others. Um, gotcha. But yeah, like I said, these games Vertical Force is pretty cool. Galaxy Pinballs Pinballs are right. Mario Clash wasn't very good, but overall I, I got a lot more than I expected out of the Virtual Boy. All right, Jay, you got another one? Yeah. Uh, second game I played for... Actually, I, I, <laughs> I just want to tell... This is more of like an FYI, and then okay. I'll go into my last game, which is uh, I am playing a lot of Heroes of Might and Magic 3 again. I think you were in Discord when Harry and I were playing <laughs> yeah, not yeah, too yeah. long ago. Very fun. A uh, couple things. One, the people who made the um, Hoda, Horn, Horn of the Abyss, the, the, the expansion for it, they are still patching, and they are still adding things to the game and balancing it which is just crazy. They're adding new neutral units. They're balancing the maps. It's crazy. They just keep adding new things to it. And it's fun. It's very fun. Um, the asynchronous turns makes the game... Was it asynchronous to go at the same time? Is that the right verbiage? Um, no, I think it would be synchronous. synchronous. Yeah, just be synchronous. Uh, synchronous turns, being able to go at the same time is really critical in that game. For those who have not played Heroes of Might and Magic, your turn can take anywhere from... 60 seconds to 30 minutes. So if you are playing with multiple people, especially more than two, it is really, really boring to sit there and wait for somebody's mm-hmm. turn to finish. And you also can't watch them unless you're in a Discord call and you're sharing screens, which is you know what a lot of people do. So being able to, do, to go at the same time is a critical update that they did for it. Really enjoyed it. Um, I was going to play Heroes of My Magic 2, 
except for the fact that the synchronous turns does not exist for that, that I could find. So if anybody knows of a patch or a way to do that, let me know. I'm probably going to end up playing that single player at some point, but just continue to play a lot more of, of HOM3, the Horn of the Abyss, and it has been really fun. We played, we actually played and beat a few maps, which is surprising. That game can take anywhere from four hours to 32 hours, depending on the size of the map. Huh. So we were very committed to beating a map and playing through it, and it took us like four or five hours, I think, in total to beat um, one or two. We beat two maps over three days, I think. Damn. That's what we did. It was fun. Um, and then the last game I played, uh, I, well, actually, I guess I'm still playing, which is Paper Mario. Um, I shared with you guys that I started playing Paper Mario on the last episode. I am right now five of seven stars, and oh, it's really okay. fun. Yeah, it's it's still really enjoyable. Um, I am excited. I, I'm saying this now, but we'll see when I finish it. I want to I want to play Thousand Year Door afterwards. Paper Mario is really great. The, the original one is still very fun. You you get an introduction to a lot of the mechanics, as I talked about last time. Um, the overall gameplay of it is fun. It's got the typical Mario humor, um, you know, Bowser being a degenerate and, you know, there's some really, really fun, kind of fun one-liners, you know, it's, it's that sense of humor. So if you enjoy it, there's a lot of that throughout the game. Uh, the difficulty is just right. You know, if you are just mashing A throughout the game, you probably will struggle. If you're paying attention and doing the inputs correctly and building your, building your character correctly, you'll do fine. How does the character building, is it the same thing where like when you level up, you get to choose whether you're doing HP or whatever it is? Yeah, it's HP, MP, or badge points. So badge points are basically, as you go through the game, you get badges, they have powers to them. Based on the weight of the badge, meaning like how powerful it is, it'll it'll cost one plus, uh, one, one or beyond in terms of the total cost of uh, the badge points. So <clears throat> there are some really powerful badges you can get. I got one that increases your damage by one, which in this game, doing like plus one damage is really good. So oh, really? Yeah, it's <clears throat> there's some pretty cool stuff. There's some pretty cool badges I've gotten so far that have made the game uh, easier for sure, and it's been pretty nice, especially for the some of the boss fights. So there's a lot of companions in this game. I think I'm up to like six companions right now. There's a lot of companions in this game. Uh, there were some that oh, I even wow, forgot really? that you get along the way. Yeah, because you get like you get a Goomba, you get a turtle, you get a flying turtle, you get a, yeah. a you get a female Boo called Bao. I was about to say, please tell me you get a Boo. You do. You also get this like sun with a pacifier in its mouth. And then I think <laughs> okay. there's oh, and you get a female bomb bomb. So that's six. So a far. what? A female oh female bomb bomb. Okay. So yeah, it's it's pretty cool. And, and I will say the one thing that frustrates me about the companion thing is like most of the companions you you like can't use. And usually when you get a new one, the game more or less forces you to use that one because of the mechanics of the mobs or okay. whatever's going on in the world. So yeah, I, I'm really excited to finish out the rest of the game. I'm just about to, to get the sixth star, and then I only have one more to go, and then I'll beat the game. So I don't think it'll take me too much longer, and then I do want to try playing Thousand Year Door again. Because I think my memory of Thousand Year Door was it's really a good um, sequel to Paper Mario. It really kept the same sort of focus and emphasis with some you know new mechanics added to it to keep it interesting and enticing. How many people do you have in your party? Just one. It's just you and your companion. So in that too. Well, like, sorry, what I say, like, I, I think in addition to your, because it, it, like, it's Super Mario RPG. Obviously, you can have three characters. So I thought that's what you're getting at. Yeah, that's what I was wondering. Three. So in this one, you have two. Yep. Okay. Yeah. So it's Mario plus one companion. You, you can't swap out Mario. Right. Okay. Yeah. That's weird. Is it weird only having? Is it weird having two party members? 
Not really. The game kind of bounces around it. You you don't even really notice it after a while. And honestly, like Mario does so much more than the companions. Uh, so they're not even that important. Not 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 usually no. Certain times yes, but most of the time no. Gotcha. <clears throat> but you're still liking it. Yeah, it's enjoyable. It's it's exactly if you you know if you play Paper Mario. I, I realistically, it's so funny if you play Paper Mario or Super Paper Mario or excuse me or uh, Thousand Year Door, y- you know what you're getting into, and it 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 just hits it right on the head for me. It's honestly a very enjoyable series so far. This is one of the ones that I'm playing this year, so I'm I'm excited. Good. I'm excited to hear you talk about it, to be honest. Yeah. All right, sweet. Is that all for you? That is all for me. All right, so my last one is Phantasmagoria, A Puzzle of Flesh. Oh, cool. Uh, I forgot when it came out. 95, I think? 96. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, so as you probably remember, I played the first Phantasmagoria on the last episode. And this is the sequel to Phantasmagoria. Um, it does not, it is totally, it is an entirely separate story. However, there's no connection in any way at all. Um, the, the story is you're playing as this guy named Curtis and Curtis has a history of mental illness and, he is, uh, he works for a corporation. Uh, I forgot what it's called, but he basically just has an, has an office job and he starts having these visions or he's not exactly sure if they are just visions. Um, but some crazy stuff starting to go, to go down and he's kind of figuring out so there are kind of two two different types of crazy things that are going on. There are some things that he's seeing and hearing and, and feeling, and he's kind of trying to figure out if those are real or if it's just his mind kind of just playing tricks on him and he's kind of just going crazy, basically. Also, there are people in his office that are getting murdered. And he doesn't... he he kind of feels like maybe in some way he's responsible for these murders, but he, you know, he didn't do them, but something doesn't feel right about it. Um, and so the game is you playing as Curtis, basically trying to figure out what, what the hell's going on. Like for, at one point you are, uh, one point early on you're, you're in your office and you're sitting at your computer and like all of a sudden something just punches you out of nowhere. And you're like, what the hell? And he's bleeding, but there's nobody around or anything like that. So, like, that's kind of an example of something that happens. So, he's hearing things also. Uh, at one point, you can call yourself on the telephone. And what he, he, so it's really weird. It's, it's kind of funny, actually. You're in your office, and you have this list of of extensions for like the other people in your office. And it's like, all right, so I guess you're just, I guess I'm just supposed to go through all of them. This is a point. This is basically a point and click adventure game, by the way. I, I don't, I should have made that clear. And, uh, so I was like, all right, let's call it everybody and see if anybody has anything to say. Interesting. And one of the extensions is your own extension <laughs> and you could type it in and he's jokingly like, Oh, I guess I'm going to call myself. And when he does it, he puts the phone up to his head and there, and this like demonic voice comes up and says, "I don't know something terrible. I don't, I don't remember exactly what he says." And he like slams the phone down real quick and and is like, "What the what, what the fuck just happened?" 
So, so creepy things like this are going on. And you're trying to get to the bottom of it to some extent. At the same time, you are kind of dealing with like the various people in your social life. Um, you have, so like you have a girlfriend, for instance, you've got a best friend that you're talking to a lot. There's a, there's another girl who works with you who like is, is very, very attracted to you evidently. And she's, and she basically, she at one point gets you involved in, uh, like this S and M bar that she goes to a lot and she convinces you to go there and you start getting involved with that kind of stuff. Okay. And so, and this is all, this is all, um, live action FMV, by the way. And so, uh, that's like plot wise, there's not a whole lot more depth to it than just trying to figure out what's going on. Um, gameplay wise, the game has a lot, uh, to there, there's, it's lacking a lot. Really? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Because not only are some of the puzzles dumb and weird um, and nonsensical, but even worse than that, a lot of them, you don't even know what you're trying to figure out or do at any given time. 90% of the game is just like you walk to the right place at the right time and then advances the story a little bit. Like you might be in the office you spend a lot of time in his office and the like clicking on different people's cubicles and talking to them and stuff. And it's all just a matter of, have I talked to everybody? Okay. Now what? Now let me just maybe leave and go home for a second and click around, see if there is, let me go back. Okay. Now when I click on something, something happens. Um, there's a lot of that. Like there are very, very many points in the game where you, don't have a goal. Curtis does not say, I want to do this or that. You're just supposed to guess what he wants to be doing at any given time. And then you just click around until something happens. Basically there's one of the worst parts is there's one point where you have to click on your computer three times to advance the story. Jesus. Like you click on it and it just shows him like, Typing and doing some work. And then it gives you control again. Then you can go ahead and do whatever you want. If you click again, then he types some more. So after that, what would you probably do? Okay, I guess this isn't doing anything. I'm going to go find something else to do, right? Yeah, I well, think so. Yeah, you would think so. But then you click on it again, and then something happens that advances the game. So it's, <laughs> it's things like that. Hold on, I'm starting to choke that really bring it down. Um, and then, like I said, a lot of times you don't, you don't have any goal. The game doesn't give you any direction on what you should be doing and what Curtis wants to be doing. It's just a matter of going to the right place, clicking on the right thing and eventually just stumbling upon whatever the game designers wanted you to click on. Uh, so this is, so in just a second, as I mentioned earlier, we're going to, I'm going to play the, my interview with, Paul Morgan Stetler, who plays Curtis in the game. Uh, it was a great interview. And, but and one of the things I brought up, which, and, he, and he's playing the game currently for the first oh, wow. time ever. Um, and Is that just coincidental or? 
No, it, I played this because I wanted to interview him, and I had never played the game yet. Oh, sorry. I thought you said. Did, did you say he's? Did you say he's playing this game for the first time? He is playing it for the first time. Okay. As part of his like Patreon slash Twitch slash oh, YouTube cool. channel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so that was why I had him on. Gotcha. Um, but before I had it, before I talked to him, I wanted to play the game. So that's how. That's why this both happened at the same time. Um, and so this is one thing that I brought up in the interview. We were talking about how the game itself, the gameplay is not great. And one of the, the, like the quintessential moment of the game happened where at one point I was trying to go to a different location. You can leave the office and you can go, there are four or five different locations you can go to in the game. There's this, uh, I was trying to go to the bar or something like that. And Curtis says, when you click on the bar, he goes, nah, there's other things I want to, I want to do first. But he doesn't tell you what he wants to do first. <laughs> You're just supposed to figure it out on your own. Of course. Like, in my head, I just wanted to ask Curtis, can you just tell me what you want to do first? And then we can do that. But no, you just have to guess and figure it out. So it is very, very, very directionless. Kind of to the to the detriment of the gameplay. Now, one thing... The, the game has kind of gained a little bit more, uh, I wouldn't say popularity, but at least notoriety lately because people have kind of, some somebody discovered it on YouTube and then a few other people kind of started playing it and then it kind of picked up a little bit just in the past few years. And what people realized is that actually there's some, a couple interesting things about this. One is the production and the acting are actually all really, really, really good. Uh, especially for 1996 when any FMV game just had, you know, just trash acting. Like they just grabbed people from the office or whatever, or they had like actors that really weren't very good. The acting is actually great in this game. But what also is neat is that again, considering this is 1996, it addresses uh, gay and bisexual characters in like a very progressive way. Um, whereas, a lot of games and other media at this time were still kind of stuck in the like, let's make fun of the gay character mode kind of, you know, um, this doesn't do that. And it actually kind of treats them really just like normal people. And uh, it's very interesting at this time that, that a game did that and, and almost didn't, and doesn't even really make much of it either. It's just like, yeah, this is what this character is. Uh, Curtis's best friend, for example, is gay. And he's not treated like a flamboyant character. He's not treated like a weird or deviant character or anything like that. He's just a dude who happens to be gay. And then there are other, uh, the rest of it is kind of a spoiler. So I don't want to go too much into it, but there are other things that pop up later that come up, uh, like that, that also address, you know, uh, like gay individuals and, and bisexuals and that kind of stuff. And it's all, it's all approached just like almost without even paying attention to it. Like, yeah, this is just what this character is. Let's just move on with it. So that's kind of what people have started to notice about the game recently, which is like, wow, this games weren't doing this at this time. And it kind of, and it really treats these people with, with like dignity and respect that they were not getting at the time. So that's really interesting about this game. Um, but then, then 
So then it does some neat stuff like that. But overall, like the arc of the story isn't that great. But then there are plenty of parts. There are lots of individual kind of beats of the story that are really good. Like a lot of the murder scenes are really horrific. For instance, a lot of the scary stuff is genuinely pretty scary, but like the overall arc is just figure out what's going on. What's going on? What's going on? What's, what's the mystery? What's going on? What's going on? Then, then at the end, it's just like, Oh, here's the answer of what's going on. And then there's not, not really anything to do with that. It's just like, Oh, here you go. Here's the explanation for everything that's been happening. And there's nothing, I mean, I wouldn't, I'm not gonna say there's nothing special about it. They, they, the explanation is somewhat surprising, but it doesn't give, it doesn't challenge the player in any way. It doesn't give you anything to think about. It's just like, here you go. This is the explanation for why all this crazy stuff is happening. Mm. So story-wise, it's kind of hit or miss, depending on whether you're looking at the, at the broad picture or, or individual pieces of the story. Uh, Gameplay-wise, the game is not fun, and in fact, is pretty frustrating at some points. Um, there, the one of the more infamous fu- puzzles from the game is the very first one of the game, where so you have this pet rat, and when you leave to go to work, first thing in the morning, when you first start playing the game, you're in your apartment, and you're leaving, and Curtis. As he's walking out the door, he's like, "Ah, oh, damn it. Where's my wallet? Well, eventually you find your wallet under the couch. But he can't quite reach it. So what do you what do you do when if, if your if your wallet is under the couch and you can't quite reach it? Either get an object to reach at it or lift the couch up and Okay. <laughs> you don't decide my rat must have put this here. So I got to get my rat to get it back out for me. <laughs> oh, duh. So um, what was I thinking? So it's like you got to, I don't even remember the sequence. You got to get the rat, use the rat on the couch, then go find a chocolate bar somewhere. Then use the chocolate I, bar on the couch because that makes, that makes the rat want to come back out to get the chocolate bar. Oh, and, of course, of course, of course. and he carries the wallet with him. Evidently <laughs> it's, that was, that part is, is pretty absurd. Um, feel like there's, oh, oh, okay. One more thing that just doesn't make sense at all. So Curtis's dad used to work for the organization that Curtis is working for. Uh, there's some kind of, there's a mystery about some other things that the corporation might be up to besides, you know, their, their typical, whatever it is. They, they, they make like, it's like a pharmacy of some sort, I think. Or not a pharmacy, but they make pharmaceuticals. Uh, Curtis's dad is not is no longer alive. There's this storage closet, and in the storage closet, there's this uh, like hidden little door. <coughs> Eventually, you so so it kind of becomes you know kind of obvious that you need to figure out how to get inside this little door. And later on, eventually, uh, later on in the game, you eventually get in the door and there's this box, there's this metal box and you take that home with you. And later, later on yet again, you figure out how to basically pry the box open. Inside the box is a letter from Curtis's dad to Curtis. So you're telling me 
that Curtis's dad was like, I want to write a letter to my son. This is the best way to do this. I'm going to put it in a box, hide it in a wall in the storage closet, and definitely only he's going to be the one who can find it. Because there's no way... There's there's definitely... <laughs> you're like, oh yeah, obviously he's the only one who can get into a locked door in this closet. And then he's going to definitely find it and and find this letter to him. I mean, it makes perfect sense to me. I, I don't know what you're struggling with here. Yeah, I know. Maybe I just don't get it. But it's like... Sometimes I just wonder what the what the writers were thinking. I mean, I guess I guess what they're thinking is here's we have to have a puzzle. Yeah, Here, I was gonna say here's a puzzle, and doesn't necessarily have to make sense. So, also, this is long long enough ago where people were kind of okay with it. You know what I mean? Maybe. Yeah, you're probably right. So just dumb stuff like that. Um, so yeah, the gameplay isn't good. The story is good in some ways and not in some other ways. Um. But there are those few kind of like standout, pretty interesting things about it, like I mentioned. Um, I can't really recommend the game. But it does have some fans. So, if you just kind of want a an FMV game to play. Like, sometimes I get just get in the mood where I'm like, I want to play an FMV game. You can do worse than this. You can do better, and you can do worse. If you play this, I would recommend just grabbing a guide. And just going through it, just so you can kind of, because a lot of this, and again, a lot of the individual scenes are really good. The acting is is honestly, I'm not just saying this because because I interviewed Paul who played Curtis. The acting is honestly very very good. Not not just from Paul, but from it from from everybody. Um, so yeah, if you're in the mood for something like this, go ahead and go for it. But don't just if you're looking for just a good game. It's probably, this isn't, the game's not very good. So that's Phantasmagoria 2. Um, I guess now we will roll the interview and then Jay Jay and I will be back immediately afterward to uh, read some emails. All right, so I am here with Paul Morgan Stetler of Conversations with Curtis, uh, also from phantasmagoria a puzzle of flesh paul how are you doing hey i'm doing good robert how are you i'm doing awesome uh paul you're first off please uh forgive me if i accidentally call you curtis at any <laughs> point i think it's the not so much the 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 character name as it is the conversations with curtis that, that yeah that no, I, i've brought this on myself so if you do i <laughs> i only have myself to blame right so so paul you've uh of course you are you were the lead role in Phantasmagoria, a puzzle of flesh. And um, that game is kind of noteworthy for a couple of reasons. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about in a few minutes, but what's kind of, it's, it's interesting with that game. What's kind of happened is it's sort of come up. People have started to sort of discover kind of some cool things about that game. Whereas for a long time, even like upon release and since then, nobody really paid too much attention to the game. Uh, you know, it, it wasn't like a huge seller or anything like that. I think, I believe it did pretty well, but not quite as well as Sierra had wanted. Um, but, it, but people have started to notice it again recently. And on, on the back of that sort of what you've done is said, Hey, this is really cool. I was a big part of this. I'm going to go back and kind of dig into it and talk about it. Talk about my experience, find other people who were involved in it, talk with them about their experiences 
And, uh, and then recently you've kind of started to expand sort of beyond that even a little bit before we really get started talking about the game. Why don't you just talk for a minute about conversations with Curtis? This is your Patreon slash Twitch slash YouTube thing that you have going and just sort of tell us what it is that you're doing, what you're trying to do, what your goal is and all that. Yeah. I mean, I, <laughs> the goal part, I don't know if I have a clear answer to that, but, uh, <laughs> Um, I, you know, as you said, I, I, I started in this game a long time ago. It was back in 1996 when, when it came out and, uh, um, and, and I'm not, you know, I've, I've been pretty clear to everybody that I've talked to about this. I'm not a gamer myself, <clears throat> excuse me. And, um, you know, so I was an actor at the time and, and, uh, still am. And, and, you know, it was, a, it was a job that I got and it, it uh, was a really fascinating job that lasted probably five months, you know, of just of principal photography and filming and all the other things that, that we needed to do. Um, and then it didn't really, uh, because the game never took off in the, in the way that you're talking about, it never really sold and it didn't seem to um, take the gaming world by, by storm. It, it kind of, uh, you know, just kind of went away. And because I wasn't in that world, I just continued to pursue my acting pursuits on stage and, and film and TV and stuff. So I'd kind of forgotten about it, you know, quite honestly. Um, and years and years had gone by. I think I used some footage from it for a, you know, for like a reel, you know, to kind of help uh, get some work and such. But, um, but yeah, I kind of forgot about it. And then it started to pick up some traction on YouTube. I know the the Spoonie experiment was a huge thing in, in 2008 where he did a, you know, just an epic <clears throat> let's play of it where he made all kinds of fun of it, which it rightfully deserved. And, and a lot You're of people, right. um, a lot of people discovered the game for the first time through him. And so I would get these, all of a sudden I'd get these people reaching out to me on Facebook or other, you know, social media and uh, I didn't quite know what to do with these reach outs. I, I sort of assumed at the time it was just, you know, again, I, I didn't have any problem with anybody making fun of the game. I just wasn't sure I wanted to spend much time, uh, you know, engaging with that. Right. And so I kind of stayed out of it. And then more and more, then more time would go by. And then another YouTuber or someone like uh, uh, Accursed Farms or somebody would, would do something. And then another wave of, another wave of uh, people would reach out. And so I just little by little realized that there were a lot of fans from this game from all over the world. And so last year when the pandemic was kind of at, at its height, it dawned on me that it was the 25th anniversary of the making of the game and all of my work, which is work that is usually in front of a live audience or I do public speaking and I'm, you know, so most of my work was was not available to me because I, I couldn't do the work. Um, so I had some time on my hands and I thought, well, maybe I'll just test the waters and see if anybody would be interested in me sharing my experience about what was, what I remember about making the game. And it turned out that people, there was a pretty big, I wouldn't say big, but, but for me anyways, there was a, it was a fairly large uh, group of folks that were really interested. And so I did a, a preliminary episode where I just, shared my my experience making the game and that went really well and then i started reaching out to other um uh you know the artists the main artists that made it the actors and the director and the writer and, and each month i would just do a different stream where i would 
we would just explore their memories. It was fun for me because I hadn't seen any of these people in 25 years. Mm-hmm. So, so it was all just meant to be this this thing. We were going to do it for for the year, and and uh, and it went really well. And then, as you said, uh, you know, that's over now. So we you know we kind of covered that game as much as I think I'm ready. I don't think I want to do much more than what we have. But but there's been interest in what I'm doing, and uh, so now we're starting to. Uh, explore different games from that era and, and other eras. And in terms of the goal, I'm not quite sure what it is yet, quite honestly, sure. but uh, but it's been a lot of fun and, and people seem to be enjoying what I'm putting out. And uh, um, so we're just going to keep rolling with it and see uh, see how it evolves. I, I kind of like the idea that you don't really have a goal with it. I mean, through all my life, I've I've been told you have to have goals. You have to have goals, but like that type of thinking doesn't quite work for me personally. And that even with this podcast, like I don't know that I have a goal with it other than just like do what I'm doing. Cause it's fun, you know, <laughs> you know? Um, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I kind of, I kind of like that honesty and I honestly sort of like that approach of just like, here's something cool that I can do. Why not just do it? I don't have to have, you know, an end goal that I'm trying to reach with it. Yeah, I had a, a, a amazing moment because I, I did start a Patreon uh, page because I, you know, it got to the point where it really was taking up a, a lot of time and energy, and then for me to to be able to dedicate that time, I just I I couldn't do it without some funding, and so yeah. people have come on board and and been incredibly kind and, and generous in that way. So at one point, just a couple, I don't know, maybe less than a month ago, I, I reached out to all the Patreon members and basically said, you know what, what do you, you know, what, what can I do to give back? You know, do you want Patreon only content? Do you want me to create some things specifically for you to get back what you, you want? And I gave them all these uh, sort of like a little poll um, on, on some of the options. But what was surprising to me was the overwhelming response was they just wanted to see what I was going to do next. They didn't really care or have an agenda of what I, I where I, where I wanted to take this, so it was both kind of incredibly. Uh, it was awesome, but it was also it's also a little intimidating because I'm not quite sure. There's like it seems like the sky's the limit in terms of where I can uh, can go with this. And so at the moment, I'm going to stick with interviewing interesting people uh, from the kinds of games that uh, you know that that this audience seems to have. Uh, grown up with and love and have a nostalgia for, and then we'll just see how it goes from there. Yeah. It seems like the, the, the point and click adventure game genre is one that people tend to really have kind of like the most fond memories of in, in my personal experience. I mean, of course there are plenty of genres that everybody, you, know, you can find plenty of people who love them, but there, I don't know something about the nineties adventure game genre seems a little bit special, even compared to even more other, like more popular genres. So I think it's a cool one. I, I, for me, it's a, it's an exciting one to see you explore. Um, well, thanks. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. It's been it's been a it's been a treat, and you know, and I'm actually playing Phantas too for the first. I never played it before, right. and, and I think that I'm finding that when I talk to most of the artists uh, in these other games or in Phantas too, hardly anybody. It's funny because the people that make these games aren't necessarily gamers themselves so it's funny how few people have actually played them including (laughs) myself so i've been struggling my way through it even though you know i was in every scene i I still you know getting through some of the puzzles and figuring out how to get out of certain rooms it's it's been a slog and uh and luckily i have you know a a a great guide kind of keeping me on track but 
But I do think there's some joy in watching this complete newbie uh, try to, to navigate his way through some of these games that people know like the back of their hand. So I think there's some some fun in that. Yeah, and you know, part of that is is due to the design of this game in particular. Whereas most, you know, I, I know you haven't played you know many games in general. Most games in the adventure game genre, they give you a little bit more direction as to like, hey, you need to be trying to do this. Try to figure out how to do this. Whereas in my opinion, one of the problems with the gameplay of A Puzzle of Flesh is you often really don't know what Curtis wants to do at any given time. And you kind of just have totally. to wander around until you stumble upon the thing that he wanted to find or go to oh, or see. I think the reason that this game did not take off in the way that they wanted to is that nobody could get out of the freaking apartment from the first <laughs> moment the, the guy wakes up, yeah. you know? So you're, you're stuck having to get a rat to grab a wallet <laughs> underneath the couch. And like, no one knows that that would possibly be an, an option. And I think many people probably just unplugged early on and never uh never went forward yeah there there's a part in the game that that really summed up a large part of the experience for me uh when i was playing it and i i tried going to one of the locations like it was maybe the bar or it might have been the uh the snm bar or whatever it was yeah. and and curtis he go, curtis says uh I, you click on it and curtis says no i've got other things i want to do right now and I was like, well, Curtis, if you would just tell me those other things you want to do right now, that could really help us out a lot. Yeah, sorry about that, man. My bad. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, so, okay, so Puzzle of Flesh. Let's talk about the game itself. It, it's yeah. It started to kind of, people have started to kind of notice it for several reasons. Some of our, you know, some of them due to the kind of awkward, we'll say, game design. Um but also for some really interesting reasons, uh, including how kind of progressively it treats gay and bisexual characters, especially for a 90s game. Uh, yeah. And I do want to talk about that in a minute. But but first, I want to ask you about another really cool thing about this game is how high quality the production and the acting were for a full motion video live action game of this time. Um, yeah. So when you when you first took this part, what what can you tell me what you were if you had any expectations about what the filming was going to be like and and if it was different from what you expected or what the re, kind of like what the reality was in comparison to what you expected uh, going into it for because I know you had never done anything like this and I'm sure you yeah that's was, a good no I I think you know because I, I I was going into it so green I didn't quite realize what. Uh, what the path was leading up to this and and the path prior to this was um uh almost strictly green screen or blue screen uh no sets actors just kind of pretending they're in whatever locale that they are um scripts uh i you know for the most part and i think uh our, our game suffers from this a little bit too but you know some of the dialogue is pretty cheesy and mm -hmm. and uh and if you don't get the right level of of actors uh, that to maybe underplay when necessary or overplay when necessary um it can come across as uh you know um very schlocky kind of stuff and i think uh -huh. that that was a lot of what had happened prior to this i didn't know any of this so when i get the job you know what i had heard it was it was a you know it was an interactive game it was being shot like a film uh, it was going to be on 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 uh, video, but but they were gonna they were gonna shoot it 
the way they would a, a, a motion picture. There were sets, um, you know, they, they had built this whole soundstage with, and they had built all of these sets um, for all the locations. And then any of the sets that weren't built, we actually went on location. And I didn't realize that that was uh, unique to, to, um, to games. Gotcha. Um, and so I think, you know, what little I've been able to look at some of the other games from that era, there is a, there is a cinema, cinematic quality to Fantast 2 that I, don't, I can't see in any other game. It's, there it's is true, a, yeah. There is a there's a art there's a level of artistry in the lighting, in the cinematography, and I think in the acting. I think that you know they they picked some really uh, solid actors that live here in Seattle. They found some actors down in L.A. that they brought up, and um, it just had a at a you know, it just went to a higher level. Um, you know, again, I don't think that makes any that, that doesn't help the gameplay, which I know was was frustrating for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. um, I think. The story may not have been everybody's cup of tea, you know, but but in terms of how it was put together, it was at a pretty high level. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned the acting because that was one thing in particular I wanted to ask you about. I mean, honestly, the acting is really good. And and again, this is in a time where these light these these full motion video games were kind of notorious for really just having terrible acting. Um yeah. Did you oh, yeah. did you and the other actors ever get the sense of like wow we're doing something we're really doing something cool with this we're like we we're actually they actually got a lot of good people on this on this game yeah no again I don't think we knew what we were what, you know what what else was out there I don't I you know and so I mean I think I did see some footage from the first uh, Phantasmagoria and and I remember thinking. Uh, how, you know how lucky I was that we weren't doing blue screen or, or they think they did blue yeah, screen, yeah. But, you know, like green screen, green screen kind of stuff. Um, I didn't, you know, I, I found the look of that game to be less than, uh, I didn't find it very interesting uh, visually, you know? Sure. Um, but again, I was only looking at like a few scenes here and there. I hadn't I'd never played the game. Um, but yeah, you know, it's just, I think I, I knew some, I knew some of the actors because they were, they were local actors that I had either been in, plays with or seen in auditions and such. So I think everybody just came in with their, their own level of, of uh, commitment and it just, it just kind of, it kind of gelled. Um, um, yeah. We never really talked about the fact that we were, you know, uh, at a higher level or, or whatever, you know, I sure. don't think anybody thinks that you just do what you can do and try to try to make sense of the scene you're in, you know? Gotcha. I, I do. I, I I don't want to embarrass you, but I do want to compliment your acting specifically because you do honestly a, a really great job in the lead role. Even from the very first time that the, the the player takes control of Curtis, so you have that little intro scene, and then he kind of wakes up in his apartment, and yeah, yeah. then he's looking at you, and it's time for you to tell him what to do, and and just that still or semi still shot of him just kind of staring at the camera. It, it, like the countenance tells you it's just before he even has any lines of dialogue, you know exactly what this character is. He's kind of giving you this look like not, I wouldn't say <laughs> defeated, but it like frustrated. Like, 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 is this really what my life is? Cause he's just kind of relived <laughs> this experience in his head, you know? Um, That's funny. You know, the, 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 um, the reality of that may have been slightly different because we shot all those, 
they call them fidgeters, you know, just those moments right. where the, the gamer is going to walk away from their computer. So it just has to go into a screen saving mode. And they wanted to make sure that the whoever, it was usually me, but whoever was on the screen at that time still had a sense of uh, being alive. So we would do these, you know, he'd scratch his arm yep. or he'd, you know, whatever. So we would have to shoot all of these things. And we did those all at the end of the shoot after like six grueling months of prep and shooting and reshoots and all that stuff. So I think what you saw was a very tired actor <laughs> who had just done the entire, you know, just gone through a, a gauntlet gotcha. of, of filming. Well, as luck would have it, it, it worked out for the best, I guess. <laughs> um, so tell me, what was it like playing Curtis? Because it, he seems like a difficult, uh, like he would be, you know, I'm not an actor, but he seems like he would be a difficult character to play because he's this guy who has these inner demons haunting him. And at first, when you first start playing him, he kind of comes across like he's going to be this sort of mentally and socially weak character. But as it turns out, he really isn't. And he, and he kind of has like a, a great social life. Honestly, he has lots of very close friends and, yeah. and everybody wants to bang this guy. <laughs> was it hard to, was it hard to thread that line for you between this guy who's so haunted, but also very socially adept? Uh, you know, that was, that's the, that's the joy of being an actor, right? You get to, you get to, you know, I, I did not have the, um, I, I think that Curtis had some kind of alien animal attraction that, uh, <laughs> that, that, that I didn't have. So, um, it was nice to, it was kind of fun to play that. I, you know, I just feel like with him, um, you know, because I mean, the script was probably 400 pages long. It was, wow. A, it was a, it was difficult to um, always understand what was driving him. Um, okay. I don't know if I always fully understood, but what I liked about the character and, they, and I got cast kind of late in the game. So I didn't have a whole lot of time to, to prep. Um, but what I realized was right off is that this person was having uh, a real struggle with uh, his identity Okay. Who he who he, who he was? Um, he didn't. He was open to so many things. He was open to. Uh, I think partly when we, when we were talking about the the sexuality in the yep. game, there was no judgment. Um, he just kind of went with his instincts and went with what followed him, and and was really tortured with trying to figure out what the hell was going on in his life. And so, as an actor who didn't maybe know the character as well, I knew I could play a sense of um, seeking or of, of being, you know, so to me, I just wanted to, I just, my goal every day was just to take whatever moment we were filming and just try to infuse it with as much honesty as I could. And, and most of those moments were someone, uh, trying to figure out who he was, you know? And, and, uh, so I, I identified that was an easy thing to, to, to kind of hold on to as, as we were filming. Awesome. I think that sounds like a, like a, like a interesting and probably probably the best way to to approach that that character in particular, especially as you said, especially if you weren't really sure based on the script what his kind of motivation was in general. That sounds like that sounds like the way the right way to take him. Yeah, and as you said, you know, I think that it took a long time for for the whoever for the for the game player to you know, he isn't an enigmatic character. You know, he doesn't he's he's not you know, and that's the other thing too is he's the straight man. You know, all the other characters, Trevor and Therese and and uh, you know Paul Warner, they're the they have the big personalities and the big 
you know, they kind of chew up the scenery a little bit. So I think it was my job to just, uh, keep it, keep it honest and, uh, and let them, you know, kind of serve it up to them sometimes, you know? Right. Were you surprised by anything, by any of the, by any of your lines or any of the things that any of the twists that the story made, like when you're reading the, the script or when you were filming, did anything come, come across as like surprising in the sense, maybe not like plot wise, but like, why, why are they doing this? Gosh, that's a great question. Um, I, yeah, off the top of my, you know, I, I, I don't, I think that when we got into the last, it's funny, I'm about to play the, uh, I'm, I'm at the tail end of, of playing this game for the first time. Uh-huh. So I'm just about to get down into the, the threshold and all that. Um, as I've mentioned in some of the earlier uh, episodes that we've done, you know, they, they, they ran out of money uh, late in the game. Uh, and, and so yeah. the last part of the, of the game when he's down, um, you know, facing the, the Hecatomb and all that um, there was a l- it was meant to be at a bigger scale than it ultimately was. We had to really just sort of scale everything down. So I, I have to say that by the end, it got a little confusing. I didn't quite know, you know, to this day, I'm not quite sure. <laughs> you know, I, I know that that Curtis is the real Curtis grew up down there and became this horrible, disfigured sort of bitter person that's trying to reach out to this, this uh, clone like alien um, but I never quite understood, I, I, you know, who, who, I don't know, who are we supposed to root for? You know what I mean? Are we, hmm. are we rooting for the, the alien who seems more like us because we, we recognize that, or it's hard to root for that, that, that monster down there because it's, it's so right. vindictive and so, you know, alien like, but that's the real hu- human, right? So it, it gets a little, it gets a little fuzzy. Yeah, it is a little bit. Um, and so if anybody cares, if anybody who's listening cares about spoilers, probably the next, I don't know, not, not very long couple, just a few minutes will be kind of spoilerish territory for you. <laughs> I probably already just did that. Well, yeah, you a, probably, <laughs> maybe just a little <laughs> you bit, but I want to go back and, uh, and pre-spoiler before yeah, they'll be, they'll be okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, you, and you, you, so you had mentioned the, so in the final sequence of the game, you go into this other dimension basically. And as you, as you, as you said, it, it does kind of show that the budget wasn't quite there because this other dimension turns out to be kind of like four rooms <laughs> more yeah. or less. Yeah. Um, and the gameplay is really limited there as well. Um, but so how, how did that come across? So cause for a game that seems so well produced and I, I would have imagined so well, also so well budgeted and scheduled, it, it surprised me when I, when I first heard you on one of the episodes of conversations with Curtis, when you said, they kind of realized at the last second that they had run out of time and money and they had to wrap it up in like, what was it? A, I forgot what you said, a couple of days or a couple of weeks. Well, the, I don't know. I think there was another three or four weeks that were scheduled and we had to wrap it up three in or four a week. Weeks. So that was the, the hard part was, was, you know, and, and I've been trying as I've been playing the game, I've been, uh, it's been really interesting to watch because I, I can see the moments that were early in our shoot where the, uh, the camera work is, is is incredible, and the and the lighting is incredible. These were the there were some young. I'm sure these are uh, the, the cinematographer. His name is Matt Jensen, and he's like a big cinematographer now. He's he did Wonder Woman, and he's like he's done he's 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 big time at the moment. But this was I think his first job out of out of college, out of film school, and he had this whole crew of young you know film school 
grads. And I think, you know, they took great pride in creating this work, but they were pretty slow too. And so okay. we, there was a lot of days of just all the perfect setup. And so I think that that came back to haunt us because we mm. spent a lot of time perfecting these shots. And then we realized that, you know, they were spending a lot of money. And so you can see the scenes where it's really just dynamite. And then you can see scenes where it's like, we had to get through it. We just had to, you know, there was just, there's no coverage, one shot, let's go. And, and I think if you watch, when I came back for that final uh, episode or the, the final uh, play in the, in the threshold, we were down to a skeleton. They, they had to get rid of everybody. So we had like a skeleton crew, maybe, you know, when maybe there was 20 people on set, I came back, there was maybe four, you know, including oh, the director. Wow. So it became really, it, it was just like, <laughs> you know, bare bones by the end. Gotcha. Um, and it is, it is kind of interesting how the, how the story ends up. Well, I, I wouldn't say the ending is so is interesting so much as you mentioned earlier that this that the story that some people had trouble had had problems with the story in general and I and I think it's kind of interesting that this like it's like the arc of the story isn't that fantastic but there are tons but it's filled with lots of really really good points like so there's this all through the game there's this uh, tension kind of within Curtis and and within the player too where we're trying to figure out. Is Curtis, is he, is this all his imagination? Exactly. Or yeah. Are these yeah. things really happening? And is, is he somehow responsible? And that's, that kind of ties into his own kind of struggle. He's like, am I responsible for these horrific things that are happening? And then yeah. at the end of the game, you get this answer and it's just kind of like, oh, okay, well, that's the answer. And it doesn't really, it doesn't challenge, you know, the, the quote viewer in any way, really. It's just like, oh, here, this is the explanation for what's been going on. But all of the little things in between, like kind of, you mentioned all earlier, like all the character interactions, all of like the, all, you know, like the horror scenes, everything is just done very well in between. It's just kind of the overall arch, uh, the overall arc of the story that isn't, you know, that just doesn't really do a whole lot. Well, I think that it doesn't, it doesn't, um, I, I think it doesn't wrap up well, but I think that, you know, what I was, what I really connect to it when I read it and then when we were filming it and even as I'm watching it right now is I love that sense of um, the, the, the mystery of like these horrible things are happening. He's seeing some version of himself uh, that is, you know, uh, that is either in his imagination or it's something otherworldly or he is, you know, we find out at the very beginning of the game that he's been committed. So he has mental problems. Um, so I love that sense that they really set it up really well. And I know that Lorelai took, took uh, uh, her inspiration from some of those late 80, early 90 movies like Jacob's Ladder and Angel Heart and things like that. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think movies that I, I find, you know, they were, we were fascinating with that sense of, you know, uh, double uh, identity kind of thing. Um, but yeah, I just think that it was, it was a little too easily wrapped up at the end where, you, as you said, it didn't allow the, the, the game player to uh make up his or her mind as to what you know what that really was sure um so so you're playing it now does it does it story so you know regardless of the ending and all that does the pacing and does kind of just the general you know the story itself does it unfold like you like you felt like it would having having filmed all the scenes i 
I imagine it's a little different from filming most other things because in this one, the pacing, you know, is much more variable. All of the kind of story points are a bit more isolated than in film or television or stage or anything like that. How, how does it unfold compared to kind of like what you expected as, you know, someone who filmed it? Yeah, I, I was not expecting much. I mean, I, I'm, I'm, you know, I think a lot of actors are the same way that I am. You're just ridiculously self-critical. And so watching yourself, you can only do that so much without just, you know, it's just, it's, it, it gets a little, little much. So having to watch, like had I played Trevor or somebody and I had a smaller part that I could pop in and out of, uh, that would have been one thing. But since I was the main person, there is a surreal quality to, to having to watch this younger version of myself, you know, it's 25 years ago. Oh, sure. Yeah. Um, to do this. Um, that said, I think the game uh, surprised me. I, I liked it more than I thought that I would. And, and, and it creates a, an atmosphere that when I, prior to that, I'd only seen, and I'd spent a lot of time with conversations with Curtis where I would take scenes from the movie and I'd, you know, I'd edit them so that whoever I was talking to on my next episode, I could show them a little moment if it, you know, of, if, if it was Monique Parent, I would show her a scene from the game. So I spent a lot of time looking at scenes but I'd never played it before. So playing it does create a, a mood that I wasn't expecting, you know, and, and the music has a big part of that. Uh, um, and, uh, but you know, there are moments that just, it, I, I find it very fun. You sometimes just feel like you're, you're stuck in the stupid cubicle. You know, you really feel like you're, you're at work, you know, uh, and uh, yeah. um, it, it was, it was kind of funny and that and you don't really get a sense of the time of day, you know, um, right. like, is it, is it morning? Is it afternoon? When's the work day over? Uh, you can talk to people, but you could either just continue to talk to the same person over and over again, or you can go from one character to another. And uh, so I think there's endless ways to, to, to explore this, which I think is part of the, the joy of these types of games is if you do decide to go back, you can, you can go at it from a different angle, you know? Right. You can even call yourself up from your own office phone. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, so, uh, as I mentioned earlier, one of the things that people have started to realize as this game has gotten more attention lately is how how open and, and progressive it is for a 90s game, particularly in the sense of sexuality. There's mm-hmm. uh, there's Trevor, who's Curtis's best friend who's gay, but it but it's it's not treated like he's not treated he's not like a gay character. He's a character who just like happens to be gay and kind of like makes mention of it every now and then, but you know, it's not like, oh, here's the gay guy. This is what we have to say about him. You know, it it almost doesn't. Even, it almost doesn't even matter. Right. Then, uh, then there's a point where, and I, I won't spoil it, but there's a point where Curtis disco- sort of discovers uh, his own bisexuality, or maybe he maybe he already knew of it, but he kind of reveals his own bisexuality late in the game. And again, it's just part of the story, and it's not it's not a big twist. Like, whoa, you know, he's bisexual, or whoa, he's gay. It's just. It's just a thing that happens. Uh, can you can you talk about that? And in particular, is this something that that you had a sense that the writers and actors at the time realized was being done in a progressive way, or was it just kind of like an accident that it, that it turned out so well? Um, no, I don't think it was an accident at all. I, I think it was, uh, and that this is where Lorelai I just really um, uh, created these. Uh, wonderfully f- rich, full, full uh, 
characters in that way. So I, I guess to back up, you know, like having for me at the time, I was very enmeshed in, in uh, you know, I, I'm a trained actor. I've done most of my work has been on the stage doing theater and and a lot of uh, contemporary plays. And and so the world that I was was in was was an incredibly open world in terms of um, acceptance of uh, of other people and who they are and, and and you know whatever their sexuality or what have you was. So I, I was that was just something that was normal for me. So when I read the script and thought, oh okay, he's he's struggling with his sexuality. He's he's a character that seems to be driven by, um, you know, he has these relationships with both his girlfriend and then with Therese, and he's just open to. You know, in, in terms of with Therese, the sense of you know, you know, an alternate lifestyle in terms of like BDSM and stuff, mm -hmm. and he just doesn't really say no to anything. He's just kind of open, and I found that interesting. And his best friend is is gay, and and uh, so it didn't surprise me at all. What I didn't realize was that the gaming world uh, had never experienced this this right. type of relationship before. You know uh, that that this was taboo that anything prior to this it was making fun of stereotypical gays that if a character was gay that character was making passes at everyone and yeah and that wasn't the case here you know uh trevor uh is the most well-rounded and most secure with himself character in that whole game and um and in fact he's the one person that doesn't come on to curtis and I think it's because he realizes that that's not what Curtis needs. And that's not, and I don't think Trevor would want to be involved romantically with someone who's got such, you know, so many issues at this point. I think his, his main <laughs> right. concern is to keep Curtis, you know, from going off the deep end, you know? And so I think that was just, we didn't realize that that was revolutionary for the time, especially in the world of gaming. But, but what has made this project that I'm doing with conversations with Curtis so um, fulfilling is hearing from these people from all over the world saying this is the first time they'd ever heard that it was okay to be different, that it was okay to have uh, different sexual needs or desires or, or have a different identity. Wow. Um, and, and for, for this game that I did years ago as a, you know, it was a gig to have it have that kind of impact, I never would have expected that. And I feel very, very lucky that that I had some small part in, in someone being able to, uh, you know, come to a, a more, uh, what's the word, just a, a better understanding of, of who they are, you know. That's cool. And, and I hadn't really consciously considered one thing that you said, which is Trevor really is the most kind of well-rounded most balanced character in the in the game as far as like you know just having a stable personality um he's almost kind of like a comforting presence whenever there's a scene with him because it's kind of his job to be like hey buddy let's talk it out how can i help you, you know let's 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 go let's go have a milkshake or whatever and uh totally yeah, tell yeah. Me what's going on um and the one time when curtis actually makes a physical gesture he says no yeah. because it's not appropriate it's not not that it's not appropriate it's just not the right that that's not the answer it's not the know? right and, time and, uh, yeah yeah, but I've had more people say that. Oh man, they just they wish there was an ending where Trevor and Curtis could ride off into the sunset somewhere. <laughs> oh really? <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. Well, that's 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 all really cool. Um, 
I want to, uh, in, in just a second, I want to ask you about uh, anything you'd like to plug and all that kind of stuff. But but first, I want to ask you about the biggest mystery of oh. A Puzzle of Flesh, which is, have you gotten to the bottom? Have you figured out the secret of the pepper on the banana split? <laughs> yeah, so for anyone who, who coming to this uh, brand new or haven't been watching any of the, uh, we, we, uh, we found... Uh, there was a, let's see, Grimbeard, who is a uh, YouTube, you know, he does he does uh, Let's Plays or he does reviews. Um, he did a review of Fantastic Two a number of years ago. And in one section, he comments on how at one point, Trevor and, and Curtis are at the restaurant. Curtis, Trevor has a banana split or some sort of bowl of vanilla ice cream. And then he hands it to Curtis, and then he leaves, and then Curtis looks around <laughs> to make sure no one's watching, and then he grabs a shaker of pepper and he and he shakes pepper onto the ice cream before he eats it. And what was amazing is I don't remember doing that at all. I don't have any memory of doing that or why we did it. <laughs> I know it's not something I personally would ever do. So I think either I was goofing around and I thought that the scene was over and I was just goofing around and I was waiting for them to say cut. Or someone told me to do it, but I don't remember. So, so yeah, I put that out to to my fans saying, "What the what the hell is that all about?" And apparently, that there is something about there is something out there about putting pepper on ice cream that that will help with either you don't get the brain freeze or I don't know. Oh, I mean, really? I've, 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 I've tried it since then. <laughs> I recently tried it. And I said, "What the hell? Let's give it a go." And, and you can't taste it at all. It's not even. I put like good five, six shakes on there and I couldn't taste the th single thing. Huh, so. That's pretty interesting. You know, it's funny. Uh, it I thought when I first saw it, well, you know, of course, I didn't actually, I didn't play this game when it first came out. So when I first saw that was probably not too long after you had first, you know, noticed it. Um, and it looked to me like, like a little just improv piece. And it kind of reminded me of, uh, I forget the name of the movie, but Marlon Brando trying on the glove. Uh, you, you probably know what I'm talking about. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's from uh, um, uh, On the Waterfront. On the Waterfront, yes. Thank you. Um, yeah. And he's just he's got this glove that's not his, and he's talking to somebody, and he just starts playing around with it and trying it on and stuff, even though it's way too small, and it doesn't have anything to do with anything, but it's like, but it adds kind of just a little quirk to the character. That's a great moment. Yeah, that's, what I, that's, a, that's a classic moment. I love that you, you yeah. comment on that. Yeah. And that's what this, that's so, yeah, there's what the, that, that's a, one of those funny moments that you just, it was neat to see that again or to see it for the first time and, and have no recollection of, of where that came from. So <laughs> I like so the mystery funny. of it. Yeah, that's cool. Okay, so uh, so we talked about conversations with Curtis. If, if you want to talk about that a little bit more, feel free to do so. But I also want to give you a chance to plug anything else that, you, that you'd like to plug. Uh, yeah, no, there's not much. I mean, I, I uh, you know, for this, I guess the thing is, is that, you know, what, what's been exciting is that um, uh, having been able to talk to so many people and to create this oral history of this one project at a really uh, uh, pretty um, extensive level has been super exciting. And I think a lot of people have been sharing with me that, this is an era, you know, of of gaming, you know, this adventure games, uh, especially back, you know, back then. That isn't being, uh, and you're doing it with your podcast, but but isn't isn't getting is, you know, we're getting older now, right? And so yeah. to to get 
to the bottom of some of how these incredible games were made, how much influence they had on people at a certain time. Um, it's exciting to be at the forefront of being able to talk to some of these artists. I mean, I have a little bit of clout because I acted in this one game. So I'm able to get, you know, people to talk to me. I got, I just recently, you know, talked to the two main actors from the first Phantasmagoria. I, I am a friend of the actress who is the voice of Cortana and she did a, you know, a, a interview with me. I'm just about to talk to Robert Holmes, who is the, uh, composer of Gabriel Knight and a number of other things. So it's really fun that these doors are opening up and that I can get people to talk about how they made these, um, you know, these works of art that, that people really um, care about. So all that said, you know, I'd love for people to, to, you know, to subscribe to the YouTube channel and, and, and join us and see what we're doing and, uh, follow us on Twitter. I would love, I'd love all that. And if ultimately you think what we're doing is uh, unique and and worth supporting, then please look at our Patreon page. We'd love to, we'd love to have you because it's a Patreon is a, it's a, it's like the stock market. It goes up and down. You get some, you know, you get some, you get people. They join you for a while and they need, they need to move on. So you need to replace. And so for me to continue to do this, I do need to keep the the support happening. Yeah, it makes sense. And I, and I just want to say that that watching conversations with Curtis, it's it's been really fun, and it's it's um it's cool to have you as an actor who was in one of these games as the person doing the interviews because it's almost like, and I think maybe the way this this most came across for me first was your uh, one of the first. Uh, conversations with Curtis episodes I saw was your interview with Victoria Morcel Hemmingson who yeah. plays Adrian in the, in the first Phantasmagoria. And it was yeah. almost like you had, even though I don't believe you had ever met her, you certainly no. had not acted with her. Um, you kind of had this kinship anyways, which is, which is really yeah. a neat dynamic. Yeah. There's a little bit of a shorthand, you know, cause we're both actors and I'd kind of gone through the same kind of, I, I could tell, you get, you just know that someone who's been around as much as as, as we have that we kind of have a there there is definitely going to be some similarities and so she was just a delight to talk to and I did feel like uh, I felt like I knew her you know she just had she's such a and I'm actually hoping um, uh, once I finish Fantas when she she agreed and I have to nudge her and see if she's still up for it <laughs> but I'm going to try to get her to agree to play all of Fantas one. And I'll just be there as sort of her, not her guide, but I'll just point and click for her. And then it'll be fun for the fans to see, you know, the other lead of the other Phantasmagoria actually play her game. I think that would be really fun. Gotcha. Well, uh, Paul, so everybody, again, that's that's Conversations with Curtis. Please check it out. Patreon, Twitch, YouTube. Paul, thank you so much. Uh, this is a really fun episode. Um, I, I appreciate you taking the time to come on with us. I appreciate you for doing conversations with Curtis. Uh, it's it's a really cool thing, and I and I hope you have a lot of success with it. I appreciate it, Robert. Thanks for uh, reaching out. It's been fun talking to you. Okay, so Jay, we're back. Let's read some emails. Excellent. We've got two. First one is from Mike. Mike says, hello, Rob and Jay. It's been a few episodes since my last email, but Rob's story about playing the wrong populist game. Wait a minute. <laughs> I did not play the wrong populist game. I mean, let the man speak. I think he's, I think he's a very intelligent human being. I played the, the wrong. 
I played the one that I was told to play. I was told uh-huh. to play the uh-huh. wrong uh-huh. one. Uh-huh. Reminded me of a recent classic gaming experience I had. Until recently, I never played any games from the Resident Evil franchise. After hearing all the, p- the praise about Resident Evil 8 last year, I decided to give the series a try. I bought the Resident Evil Origins pack on PS4, which includes the 2002 remaster of RE1 and RE0. Reading that Zero takes place first in the chronology, I thought this seemed like a good starter game. Boy, was I dead wrong. I've never, I don't even, I'm not even familiar with Resident Evil Zero. I tried the game without a walkthrough the first few hours and had no idea what I was doing. Very little about gameplay mechanics is explained within the game itself. I managed to get past the first area, but felt like I screwed myself by the time I got to the second area, feeling very unprepared. I swallowed my pride and restarted the game with a walkthrough. It was a chore, but I managed to beat the main story. Reading reviews of this game, some considered it to be the worst mainline entry in the franchise and the worst choice for a first-timer. I wish I did more research ahead of time. I think you I think you both have said that you have played a few Resident Evil games, and one common mechanic in the games is the box you can store excess items in. Zero does not have that. Instead, you control two characters, and they can exchange items with one another. That wasn't too bad until both characters ran out of space, and you had to drop excess items on the ground and backtrack to pick them up later if needed. Wow, that sounds shitty. This was especially frustrating when you had to backtrack to one area to get the grenade launcher needed for a boss in a different area. I probably had to transfer items like this at least five times, but some of that may be due to my lack of of familiarity with the series. I still enjoy the game's atmosphere and the series' reputation for an expansive lore and over-the-top storytelling Still has me interested in trying out Resident Evil 1. However, to any listeners out there who have ever played a Resident Evil game, do not start with zero. Yeah, that sounds pretty bad. Besides Rob with Popu- besides Rob with Populous, have either of you had a similar experience where the first game you tried in a beloved franchise was terrible? Sorry, what game did he say? Besides what game? <clears throat> oh, he was talking about Resident Evil 0. Oh, no, I, 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 in the last sentence there. Can you read the last two sentences? La- uh, I, I still enjoyed Resident Evil Zero. Mm-hmm. No, I heard something else in there, too. I'm not sure what you heard. Oh, really? You he, sure? He tells us to keep up the great work. Oh, really? Gentlemen. Really? Interesting. <laughs> as long as we're changing history. Have you ever, Jay, have you ever played a game, it was the first one in the franchise, and you picked the wrong one? Besides Populous. Um, I I don't know. I can't think of any for me. I mean, Earthbound, I guess, right? I'm pretty sure I played Earthbound before Mother. No, no, no. But that's the best one of the series. Oh, I see. I see. Earthbound is the one you should start with, even though. Oh, I thought he meant chronologically. No, no, no. He's just saying like you picked the worst one of all of them, or something like that. Uh, Um, I don't think. I don't. I, I don't. I feel like it's. It must have happened to me at some point, but I cannot think of any yeah. examples. Yeah, me either. To be honest with you. Um. Yeah. Sorry, Mike. I can't. Again, I'm sure it's happened, but I. There's no example. I mean, I've. 
like the first Final Fantasy I played. Okay, okay, yeah, like the first Final Fantasy I played was sure. Final Fantasy X. But I played it at the time, yeah, I was going to say. Um, like a lot of the first games I played were the first ones of the series and they were on, you know, and they were series where the first one isn't bad. So, yeah, I just, I just again, I'm sure there's one out there, but I, there, I can't think of any for me. Uh, but thank you for the email. Last, we got our number two of two is from Chase the Night Cleaner. Chase says, Hello, gentlemen. Chase the Night Cleaner with a new email. I've been secretly toying with the idea of going through <laughs> of going through your episode backlogs again. I love how he says he's secretly, like he hasn't <laughs> told anybody about this. True story. When I first encountered your show, there was a disclaimer at the start of episode one that told me to skip to episode nine, and so I oh, did. Yeah. I've never listened to the first eight episodes. That's, really? <laughs> that, that, that is surprising to me, for Chase particularly. I've never listened to the first eight, first eight episodes, and now I want now I kind of want to, and then just keep going through the whole series again. I still fondly remember first discovering your show while I was working nights as a cleaner. Oh, yeah? <laughs> at a local university. I put you I'd put you guys on over the lecture hall audio system and listen while I cleaned. Because it was an isolated and solitary job, I could get away with laughing really hard every time an episode went off the rails. You guys helped me get through some pretty brutal messes and I wouldn't mind visiting some of those memories again. I'll be sure to let you know if I hit anything really weird I feel you ought to be reminded of. Yes, please do, Chase. Oh no, please don't. Please no. do. Also, I'm in heaven's word now for Final Fantasy XIV, and wow, the story got really good. Yes, heaven's word does have a very good story. Imagine trying to sell this to any other person and being like, hey, look, I know some of a realm reborn can be a pain, but that part is free, and after you've grinded through that first 180 hours of the game, things really get better. And I'm not even halfway through heaven's word. People say the story continues to be awesome all the way to Endwalker. And that's wild to me because I was skeptical for a time with this game. But now I'm at the good part. But, ne- but now that I'm at the good parts, I don't regret any of the extra time spent getting here. It's also just a different experience than playing WoW. And I'd like to sit down one day and really think through all the reasons why. Maybe I'll talk with you guys about it someday. Which brings me to my questions of the day. So... First off, yes, Heaven's Word is where the story does get really good. The next one, Stormblood, is not bad, but it's not. It's it does dip a little bit. It's not as good as Heaven's Word. But then for uh, Shadowbringers, it picks up once again, and in my opinion, it's pretty much equal with Heaven's Word. A lot of people consider it better, and then Endwalker is supposed to be even better on top of that. So. Yeah, Stormblood isn't isn't as good as the rest of them generally, but but it, it is all very good. It's just in general, it's all really good from here on out. Question: Why is it Heaven's Word, Heaven's Word, and not Heaven's Sword? Because they spelled it Heaven's Word and not Heaven's Sword. Uh, was it capitalized? Okay. No, it's it's W A R D and not W O. Oh, Heaven's Word. Oh, okay, I see. Okay. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Heaven's like Heaven's Word is in like. Toward the heavens, not yeah. not not as in a word. Oh, you're saying W or yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. You got it. Um, let's see. Uh, okay, which brings me to my questions of the day. Folks often joke 
that your podcast should be the cl- the classic Final Fantasy podcast. On account that it can sometimes dominate the conversation. So let's stick to the theme and really dig into the dirt on Final Fantasy everyone has been waiting for. My question of the day is, who is your least favorite character in a Final Fantasy game? Any game in the fr- in the franchise, your least favorite of all time. Ooh. Squall. Yeah, I was thinking Squall as well. That's so funny. <laughs> it's um, fucking terrible. Stupid fucking jacket. I also, I'll be honest with you, I'm not a huge fan of Waka in Final Fantasy X. He's just kind of a cliche, overly religious person that's supposed to come off as like a really stupid kind of simpleton. Yeah, Waka definitely sucks. And, and I, I, if I had more of a memory of him, I, I, I mean, like I remember Waka for sure. I don't remember all the terrible details about him. So that's maybe why it's it's so clearly Squall for me, but. Yeah, I can see that one for sure. Squall just has no substance. Like he's just a he's just a fucking emo kid's night, uh, dream. Like, oh that's my gosh, he's, we'll talk about him more next time when we're doing yeah. Final Fantasy VIII. But he is, ter- uh, he's ter- people he's talk- nothing. Yeah, he's nothing. He's all he. He's exactly. I mean, you you said it. He's just the emo. He's an emo kid's dream. Yeah, I don't think there's any other characters that really <laughs> stick out for me like that. Um... I mean, I'll be honest with you, some of the characters in 7 run me a little bit the wrong way, but... What? It's Final Fantasy 7. Oh, really? Even like, Cloud, even, like, Cloud irritates me sometimes. Yeah, but not to the extent of Squall. Squall is just kind of that next level. Yeah, Squall is like, if you took everything, like... I don't dislike Cloud, but if you took everything bad about Cloud and distilled it into one thing, that becomes... That's what Squall is. Yeah, I could see that. Um, he says, for me personally, while I really want to lean in and say Waka, I can't. I've met someone less useful than him who is literally the Princess Peach of her entry, always getting captured by the bad guys. Minfilia from Final Fantasy XIV is my least favorite character in the entire Final Fantasy franchise, but out of respect for a for avoiding further spoilers for FF14. I won't go into detail. That surprises me. I like I think Minfilia is pretty cool. I liked her. I have no take on it, sir. Yeah, you don't have a take. That's okay. Um that's it for me, gentlemen. Thanks as always for this wonderful part of your show. Cheers and talk to you soon, Chase and Night Cleaner. Cool, thanks, Chase. As always. Yes, yeah, thank you as always. And thanks for listening again to the entire series. I don't know how you do that. <laughs> um Jay, do you have anything for you have any current gaming subcast stuff? Not really. No, I've I've been playing more classic games as of recent. Um, still, I, you and I are talking about Inscription a little bit, but I've I'm not, I've only played that for like eight hours since since you purchased it for me. So not really. I haven't played too much. Uh, I've just been doing a lot of like real outside stuff, getting prepped to move and You've stuff. You've been outside. Long... You've no, gone outside. No, absolutely not. No, absolutely not. Oh, okay, just packing. Okay. okay. Oh, okay. Just packing and cleaning. By outside, you just mean <laughs> you're not playing a video game. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, I started playing Crusader Kings 3 again because they just came out with an expansion that's really good. Or a DLC. Uh, it's um, You basically have like your throne room now. Hmm. And uh, you, can, you can have artifacts in it that give you prestige and, and various bonuses and things like that. And you can have people like come to your... Uh, like come bring you their problems on the throne, and and you kind of you're you're dealing out justice more or less, and 
helping solve people's problems and that kind of stuff. Uh, it's actually a really good expansion. And uh, I just recently, shortly before we started uh, playing, shortly before we started recording this episode, my so here's the situation that I'm in. I just went to war with my uncle to take some of his land, uh, take a duchy that he owned. I took the duchy from him and then, so all is going pretty good for me now. I, I just realized that my brother, um, who owns, uh, another duchy, he does not have any heirs. And so if he dies, um, without having any children, then I inherit, and if he dies before me, then I inherit everything that he owns. So in order to help facilitate that, I just betrothed him to my four-year-old daughter. (laughs) So the idea is that hopefully he'll die before she comes, before she's old enough to, to actually marry him. And since they're betrothed, um, he won't marry anybody else in the meantime. Uh, usually you can't just convince any, you can't just tell anybody to marry anybody, but he likes me a lot and I have a lot of prestige and for various reasons, he, he agreed to the marriage. So I promised the marriage between him and my four year old daughter. So hopefully he'll just wait to get married and maybe there's a chance he'll die before he actually gets married. So that way he'll, uh, he'll, he will remain childless. And then when he does die, I will inherit all of his stuff. Jesus. That's crusade. That's crusader Kings in a nutshell. It's like the most, it's the most crusader Kings situation I've ever been in, in crusader Kings pretty much. That's, that's what, that's what the game is. But I don't think I've been playing anything else. I was trying to think about it. Um, I'm pretty sure that's pretty much, I'm pretty sure that's the only not classic game I've been playing recently. Robert. I don't know how this happens, but we cannot go an episode without talking about Blizzard. It's just not. I happen to be browsing the internet, and an article was just posted today. Oh no! Titled. Oh no! Titled. Activision Blizzard being sued by family of employee who died by suicide. So that employee who committed suicide. Yeah, she is now suing them. Uh, And there's a lot more detail in here. Well, a lot more detail has come out. Like reading through this, so. Uh, just reading through this, the lawsuit alleges that Activision Blizzard refused to hand over her company-issued laptop over to the police during the inquiry, claimed her mobile phone had been wiped, and refused to give investigators access to her laptop and wow. oh, excuse me, to her supervisor's uh, laptop and mobile phone as well. Even more, they gave some bullshit statement, obviously, about it, but... Uh, during this, they, they released a statement during the lawsuit claiming that filing contained distorted and in many cases false description of Blizzard's past, insisting it is this type of irresponsible behavior from unaccountable state bureaucrats that are driving many of the state's best businesses out of California. Oof. And my favorite part, I kid you not, right after the article, there's a hyperlink that says, buy Diablo 4 from Amazon. <laughs> <laughs> perfect jesus christ dude like it's just insane like not only do they just not help at all they're in the way 
they're making impossible to really do the investigation. And then they try to talk shit about the state of California. Yep. Like, I'm not saying I'm a huge fan of California. I have no no take on that aspect of it. But right. it's just obscene for them to like be like, yeah, well, it's there. Like, it's it's this kind of stuff that gets us. A, like, this is why companies are leaving. You should let us do this. Yeah, like, this is why companies are leaving because they're not letting us abuse our employees. Yeah. Jesus, man. Can Bobby Kotek, by the way, if you guys don't know, there is a, a Twitter account called Is Bobby Kotek Still CEO, which is great. Some genius stole my <laughs> That's idea. Good. That's um, good. But, but by the way, if you're ever feeling down, just do yourself a favor. Go on Twitter. Look at Bobby Kotek's Twitter and just look at any post he makes. Uh, I kid you not, 100% of the responses are people talking shit to him. 100%. <laughs> I went through one day and just ran through a number of the threads. It is great. People are really communicative how they feel about the situation and his physical appearance. And it's just, does it's he enjoyable. St- does he like post stuff on Twitter? I, uh, ironically, he posted something for Women's Day, I think, last year. Is that the last time he did something? Cause he, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. He can't be still posting anything right like that would just be i mean i'm not saying he's the smartest guy but even for him that would be stupid for him to basically do anything on twitter right he's such a goblin looking motherfucker (laughs) yeah he really looks like a goblin it's ridiculous um let's see his last tweet was june 9th of 2021 yeah uh appreciate the conversation about veterans one was about veterans it's just it's just hilarious it's just obscene yeah, well, thank you for yeah, the update. Yeah, you appreciate it. I thought you guys could kick out of that. Yeah, that was, I'm glad we didn't break the, it was close. It, that was really close, but we I didn't break the Almost streak. got through an episode. The streak is alive. Okay, um, well, thank you for that, Jay, for the, for our Blizzard update. Uh, I guess that's it. Thank you uh, for everybody. Thank you to everybody for listening. Thank you once again to Paul Morgan Settler for our interview. That was lots of fun. Please be sure to check out his stuff. Uh, Conversations with Curtis. He's on Patreon, Twitch, YouTube. Uh, follow me. I'm at King Octavius on Twitter. You can follow us at Class Gamescast. Check us out on or leave us reviews on iTunes and tell all your all of your friends to listen to us. Uh, oh, and, and next episode is Game of the Quarter. Oh, yeah. Final Fantasy VIII. Final Fantasy VIII. I'm sorry. I had a time. Uh, I'm sorry ahead of time also. Uh, so email. So uh, as you know, for game of the quarter, anybody who's new, that's where we both of Jay and I are going to play the game and all of the, all of our listeners are invited to play and send in their thoughts as well. Um, I really want to, I, somebody has written in this before, but I don't remember what they said. I really want to hear from people who like final fantasy eight. Yeah. Because I, I want to hear why. Um, I, I'm genuinely curious. I really do want to hear that. So so, so please, everybody send in your thoughts, but especially if you like the game, I really want to hear uh, why you like the game. That's mail at classicgamingpodcast.com. And uh, I guess that's it. Thank you, guys. Um, thank you, everybody, for listening. We'll be back in a few weeks with uh, Game of the Quarter and usual episode stuff like always. Close thing, everybody.